Welcome, everyone. Uh, so I, uh, I am here preaching on um, life in color, and what I'll be preaching on is Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. And so um, a few years ago, there was something that really divided people. I think it was 2017. And uh, people were arguing about it, and it caused real division. You were either one side or the other. This, of course, was the dress. The blue and brown dress. So, I'd like you to put your hands up if you see it as blue and brown. Who sees it as blue and brown? Or black? Blue and black, blue and brown. Yeah. So, who sees it as white and gold? So, there's a few of you. So, um... If th- this dress, of course, is actually blue and black, as seen in this picture. Um, and if you didn't know what the actual dress looked like, you could easily think that the dress was gold and white, when in fact it's uh, black and blue. And uh, which, as you can see from this picture, is, is wrong. The dress, in fact, is blue and black. And without knowledge someone could easily get deceived by the angle of the picture it was taken or the lighting in it. Now, I don't know about you, but I got into some heated debates about this dress uh, with my wife, Hannah, a few times, and it caused a lot of kind of disunity amongst people. And even though it was lighthearted, it still caused discussions and some disunity. Now, living life in colour means living life with unity. And uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. And he talks about these two, um, these two groups of people, the Gentiles and the Jews. And in the first one, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. And that's a very complex verse to start with, really. And you've got to look at it as um, the Gentiles were the... Um, so they're both groups of Christians, but actually the Gentiles uh, were those who didn't come from a Jewish background. So they didn't have, they didn't know anything of the Old Testament as we know it. So they didn't have, uh, they didn't know of Yahweh God before they uh, became Christians. They didn't know of the covenants. They didn't know any of these things. But then you have the Jews in contra- contrast that actually had all of that. They uh, they knew of Yahweh God. They knew of the story that. Whoops! That the um, the Jews had gone through in uh, the Old Testament, the amazing story that God had worked them through and got them to the point where Paul is talking to them now, and um, and so you have these two contrasts. And actually, part of the oh, that's wrong, and part of the Jewish um, identity as being a Jew is circumcision. And they, they were pretty much saying that if you didn't view the dress in this particular color, then you weren't accepted. And so Paul here is trying to address this and trying to be like, no guys, you need to be united. And so this, these whole 11 verses here are Paul's kind of like um, guidebook for dummies, how to unite a group of people together. And so he starts, as I said, with verse 11, where um, he's really trying to tackle with this issue that the Jews and Gentiles had, that where the Jews were being very dismissive of the Gentiles. And, um, 
And Paul's strategy in unifying these Christians is by showing them that what unites them is far greater than what divides them. And so in verse 12, Paul kind of continues to build the difference between the Gentiles and the Jews, saying that, um, that they were not part of Israel. They didn't know what Israel was from the Old Testament. They also reminds them they didn't know what the covenants were. And before finishing, before finishing Paul, Paul's big reveal, before he gets to that, he says they were without hope, and more importantly, without God. A stark place to be. But thankfully, Paul doesn't leave the Gentiles in this stark place for long. Because he goes into verse 13, where he's just like, actually, you now know God. Christ came, not just to save the Jews, but to save the Gentiles as well. And that Christ unites the both of them. And that it is by his blood that Jews and Gentiles have been saved. And there's another incident involving the Jews and Gentiles in Galatians where um, what Paul has to tackle with, where Paul is confronted by Peter from the Gospels, uh, a Peter who has got very focused on how he is viewed by uh, the circumcision. And actually, Paul had, start, had been eating with the Gentiles in terms of just at mealtimes, but he'd gone to actually um, just eating with the Jews and he was creating this division amongst the, the Galatian church. And so it seems that this issue wasn't just prevalent in Galatians. I believe that it, it would have been here in Ephesians. And it's important to learn from these lessons that we don't allow difference to cause division and then ultimately lead to disunity. For if, as Paul says, that unity is found through the blood of Christ, then we are united already, and it's through Christ that we have life in colour, of which unity is a result. And so then that's the first kind of section that Paul tackles, where he says, yes, you have your differences, yes, you have things that differentiate you to each other, but everyone has that. It doesn't mean you don't have to get along. It doesn't mean that you don't, you don't like, actually enjoy spending time together and actually work together as a community. But actually, you look to the thing that unites you, and that is Christ. And so at the start of verse 14, uh, there's this wonderful phrase, that he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. Now, what does that mean? What is our uh, what does it mean that Christ is our peace? Uh, Spurgeon, a famous uh, preacher, states that uh, part of the sense of this meaning is that Christ makes peace between nations. But it's not just nations. It's people. It's everything. Christ must be our peace. What he has done for us and what he continues to do for us is not just our source of peace, but the man himself and our relationship with him is our source of peace. And it is through communion with Christ, through that relationship with him, that we find that source of peace. And what, so what does this peace look like? Well, there's a story of this, uh, this hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. I don't know if you've heard of the hymn. And uh, the guy who wrote it is a guy called Horatio Spafford. And he had a large amount of um, like property in Chicago. Uh, this is in the uh, 1900s, I believe. 
And um, he, he was quoted saying he was on top of the world. He had, he had the properties, he had the family, he had the wife, he had four daughters, he had everything that I guess the earth could say you would make you happy. And um, then one night, one of his cattle um, knocked over a lantern and then set the great Chicago fire on its course. And he lost every single one of his properties. And so his wife, really hit by this, when she chatted to her doctor, said, you should go on a holiday. You should go on holiday to Europe. And so they set up this holiday, go to Europe. And um, they are, um, they're just about to leave. And then Horatio has some urgent <laughs> business to sort out. And so he stays behind as his wife and four daughters go to England on this boat. And as they're halfway across the Atlantic this boat collides with a British ship and sinks. And two days later, Horatio gets a telegram simply saying, saved alone from his wife. So he'd lost his four daughters in that, in that sinking of the ship. And so Horatio, hearing this, suddenly shoots off to England. He gets on the first boat he can. And just as they're going over the, the, uh, the bit of... Uh, water where the boat, the previous boat had, had sunk. Someone told him, Horatio, this is where your four daughters now lie. And he, his response, he wasn't struck by grief. He had this immense sense of peace and he remembered these words from one of his friends, D.L. Moody. One of these days, you're going to read that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of that? I'll be more alive than I am now. And then he rushed back to his, uh, to his cabin and he wrote down the lyrics to the, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, which originally was a poem, which start with the line, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well it is well with my soul. And I believe in this moment in his life, Horatio was living life in colour. He had the peace of Jesus in him. He had that relationship with him where he could tap into the source of peace, that is Christ. And this peace can be translated in terms of unity, as well as peace in grief. Jesus can give peace in situations that divide. And uh, with all, we all have this longing as hu- for peace as humans, whether that is uh, peace with one another, whether that's peace with ourselves. We want peace, and Christ is that source of peace. Now, in the second half of the verse, uh, verse 14, Paul speaks of two groups being made one, the Jews and the Gentiles, and the destroying of this barrier. Um, or dividing wall. Now, I'm sure some of you here will have some knowledge of the Berlin Wall um, as it came down in 89. Um, and the, the division that it caused in the city of Berlin at that time was great. But the common ground of those wanting the wall to come down was for freedom from the oppressive Soviet Union in East Germany. And it ended up being that common ground that played a part in the barrier coming down. 
The way that most divisions are brought back to unity is through common ground. And for us as Christians, that is Christ. And the peace found in him breeds peace amongst division and creates unity. So in verse 15, Paul starts to talk about how God came to fulfill the law and through Christ fulfilling the law, there is nothing that divides them. That This is through his flesh, Jesus made new, made a new entity. So he didn't just like have the group of Jews and then put the Gentiles in with them. He actually had this new entity where he put the Jews in and then he also put the Gentiles in. And, um, yeah, as I said, it's not about bringing the Gentiles up to what the Jews saw was their kind of standards or level, but Christ, Christ made this new thing that they are both a part of. And this is also how Judaism and Christianity are different. Christ came to fulfill the law, he fulfilled it, and then created this new thing, originally called the way, but is Christianity as we know it. And so the issue with the law, as I'm sure most of you all know, is it, become, it became so religious for the Jews. It, or uh, as the message paraphrased it, they had got so clogged up in the fine print of obeying every single thing. And the Jews were more focused on obeying the law than actually having a faith in Yahweh God. This then is why Christ fulfilled the law. So then Jews wouldn't focus on obeying it more, uh, but also to include the Gentiles and to create unity between these two groups. Christ provided a fresh start, not just for us, but for everyone. And that this was achieved through love particularly the love God has for his creation. And then Paul continues to cement this point in verse 16 when he states that Christ came to reconcile or unify them together, with which his death put to death the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. This is true for all Christians who are divided. We should all remember that when we have disunity, we also have common ground in Christ to form unity again. And this first, I feel, is Paul just repeating what he said to really bring his point home. Christ came to preach peace to those who are far away and to those who were near. This is the message in verse 17. This can be speaking about many things, but firstly, it is important to know who the far away and who the near are. There are many people that say, along with the theme of this passage, that the far away are the Gentiles and then the near are the Jews. But I believe in this passage is true to all ages and will be. Christ came to preach peace to everyone. This is peace with God. And the consequence of this peace is peace with each other. Now, what does peace with God mean, though? Uh, And for the answer, we have to go back to to Genesis. So we look at the fall, I believe it's in Genesis 3. Um, I hope I got that right. Uh, 
and uh, where when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and so uh, and disobeyed God, and it was at the st- that was the start of the disconnection from uh, between humanity and God, and that was where uh, just that act that Adam and Eve did it disconnected humanity from everything. It disconnected us from from God. It disconnected us from each other, and it disconnected us from the earth. And uh, Christ came to reconnect humanity to God, to each other, and to the earth. So those connections that had been broken in Genesis, Christ came to heal. And it's one thing to do that, but the humans need to know that that had happened. The humans need to know that, uh, that Christ had come and that he had fixed those connections. And so Christ preaching that is that telling of humans that, yes, he has come to reconnect that. And so because we have that reconnection with each other, we can have unity together. Christ literally came to reconnect humanity to God. And it's peace within those relationships that plays a part in unity. Uh, For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Within verse 18, Jesus is the door, as John says in his Gospel. It is only through Jesus and accepting him as your Saviour that you can have access to the Father. And the both that Paul talks about is the Gentiles and the Jews, which includes all, so the passage can be said. For, For through him we all have access to the Father by one Spirit. Paul here has built up the hugeness of what unites the Gentiles and the Jews and then clarifies that through one humanity, we are one. And that accepting Christ as your Savior leads to access to the Father. Being in the presence of God is something that Jews would have only have previously experienced once a year and only if they were a priest. And so within uh, verse 19, Paul continues to confirm the Gentiles of their identity in Christ, that they are citizens of the people of God. It is such an encouragement when people speak this over you. And I know some of you already do, but I would encourage you to speak this over your uh, Christian friends and family, as there's no bigger encouragement. Also, within unity, there is nothing bigger that unites you than being a citizen of the people of God and members of his household. And as verse 20 comes along, it's building on from that household image where the apostles and the prophets are the foundations and Christ himself is the cornerstone. And this again is an affirmation for the place that the Gentiles have within the people of God. Um, And it also brings in that historical um, identity that the Jews would have had. That actually even their prophets who were in in Israel are part of that building and actually holding that building as the foundations. As it looks back at the... uh, Yeah. But what does this mean for us and unity? We are also part of that household as part of the people of God. We look back to to Mark 3, 25, which states that a house divided cannot stand. 
And God would not allow his household to become divided. And it it states how the household won't become divided in verse 21. Because Christ joins the whole building together and raises it to be a holy temple. It is not only the physical metaphor of the building that Christ holds together, but it's also the people of the household that Christ builds together. (laughs) Um, This unity is then part of the household rising to be a holy temple. At the end of uh, this, the, this chapter, with verse 22, it is an amazing end to a chapter that starts with such a bleak start. As, as Pete said last week, uh, that selfie that we took, uh, we looked at before uh, Christ. For we too are built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And I think this is one of the most amazing things that... Um, that we can have, that we can meet with God anywhere. When previously the Jews would have had to have gone into the temple and into the Holy of Holies to have experienced God's presence, we can have it wherever we are. And it's an amazing thing that because of what Christ did on the cross, that we each individually, we can each individually be our own Holy of Holies. And have the presence of God in us. And if we have the presence of God in us, we have the source of unity within us. So from all of this, I have three points, almost like a cheat's guide, how to achieve unity. So point one, point one, remember where you have come from. Paul reminded the Gentiles where they'd come from. And um, Paul also reminded the Jews where they'd come from and the difference they had and the impact they had. But it is through the remembering of where you've come from that you can reach a place of understanding each other within your identity. And then number two, remember who has done it. It's important to remember that uh, you have a common ground in Christ. And, uh, and that it is because of him you have that common ground. And you can reach a point of reuniting from a disunity. And then thirdly, remember your new identity. It is within your new identity as a citizen of the people of God that you realize that what has divided you is so small in comparison to how huge the love of God is. And that if you are within that household, you cannot be divided. And so life with unity is living life in colour.